Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Growth Dojo podcast, the best podcast that teaches you everything that you need to know to build and scale Web3 products and protocols. My name is Abel and I will be your host today as we dive into today's episode. Today, I have the good fortune of interviewing a good friend of mine on the topic that is effective accelerationism and techno-optimism. And before we get into today's episode, I want to share a few words about why I'm doing this episode and why I believe this is a very important topic and something that, quite frankly, is very integral to the Growth Dojo mission. Growth Dojo is a media company with a sole mission of accelerating our transition to the decentralized web. We want to build the third web and we want to build a media company that is a counterweight to all of the negative press the crypto industry has attracted. Some of it, quite frankly, is deserved, but honestly, most of it is not. There are a lot of people in the space and also from outside of the space who shit on crypto and regard crypto as a completely speculative technology that has little use in the world and for humanity. And I fundamentally, vehemently disagree with this statement. And this is why Growth Dojo exists. It exists to be that counterweight to this decelerationist and quite frankly, misguided narrative that crypto is a useless or worse still, purely speculative asset class and technology. I want this media company to be a beacon of hope for builders. And when I say the word builder, some people assume engineer. And yeah, engineers are certainly builders, right? These are the people who write the software that, you know, moves the space forward and innovates, right? But I'm using the word builder in this context in the loosest fashion, right? So when I say the word builder, I mean product person, growth person, researcher, of course, engineers, designers, operations people, salespeople, lawyers, anyone really who is using their mental faculties to create value and bring about this world of Web3. And I, I really do hope that this podcast and, you know, this whole idea of effective accelerationism and techno-optimism is a driving force that really helps us get to the decentralized web that we want to see in this world. So as you can see, this topic is very relevant. This topic of effective accelerationism, techno-optimism is very relevant to Growth Dojo, which is why I'm doing this episode on the topic. And as I'm sure you're aware, this is a very, very large topic. There is a lot to discuss and I cannot fit all of that into one episode. And so I do plan on making a series out of discussing all of the ideas around techno-optimism and effective accelerationism. I'll call it EAC for short, as you know, it's quite a mouthful. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode and discuss all things EAC and techno-optimism. Today, I have the good fortune of inviting Mr. Alejandro Serrano Saunders to the podcast. Alejandro is the co-founder and chief scientific officer of Umore, the AI-powered mental well-being tracker, and he's also my flatmate at the Origin Hacker House. Alejandro is someone who I deeply respect, find to be very intelligent, well-read, articulate, 
an all-round good human being, and someone who I have the great fortune of calling my friend. Alejandro and I have bonded very deeply over this shared passion and excitement for the ideas around EAC and techno-optimism. So with that out of the way, the intro, let's get into today's episode. I want to start off today's conversation with a statement, or I think a better way to describe this is, is an observation, that there seems to be a battleground of ideas. And that battleground of ideas consists of two camps. The first is EAC, which I have already been speaking a great length about in today's episode. And the other side, which is EA, effective altruism. And I have a fear that the EAC and techno-optimism narrative is losing in this battleground for ideas. It seems to me that all around the technology space and beyond, we have this idea that we should be scared of technology and particularly things like AI and crypto are existential threats to humanity. And although some of those things are true, there is some level of risk to humanity. I think that there is a massive outsized benefit that these technologies bring to humanity and we should have a more optimistic and receptive view towards these technologies. And so, Alejandro, I want to talk to you a bit about this. I want to maybe ask you for your opinion on this subject. As you can tell, I'm very biased on the EAC techno-optimism side, but I would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. So let's start there, maybe share a few things about what you think of this battleground of ideas. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, we're definitely coming at this from the EAC angle, uh, effective accelerationism. Maybe it would be pretty good to um, just put out a definition of like, okay, how are people seeing this? Like mainstream, what's the average? And then maybe um, I can give my take, you can give your take, and then we can unravel the nuances behind like why this philosophy is really important for us, you know, out there on that battleground of ideas. Yeah, sure thing. So in my research on the topic before hopping onto this podcast, what I realized is in this battleground of ideas, there are generally two camps, right? So the first is those who wish to accelerate and drive humanity towards a more prosperous and exciting future. And that is obviously the EAC folks, the techno-optimism folks. And then, and then on the other side, you have folks who also want to bring about a more prosperous and exciting future, but perhaps are maybe shackled by fear and as a result are actively trying to retard progress and decelerate in order to protect the downside risk that these technologies have for humanity right and this comes in the form of many you know it this manifests in many different ways it you know it comes in doomer media you know black mirror is a good example of doomer media it makes us scared of technology you know and i see the i see i see the the role it plays right in terms of a cautionary tale if you will of what technology could do to us if we if we don't innovate correctly and and ensure you know reasonable guardrails um and you know other examples of doomer media is TechCrunch articles that are, you know, shitting on founders, quite frankly, 
who are trying to build things that better humanity, um, but perhaps, um, you know, are doing it, doing it, doing it in a way that, that is quite quick, you know. Uh, another example is misguided regulation. So the EU has come out with regulation recently on AI, which, you know, some of it makes sense. I get it, right? But honestly, it's regulation that is very misguided. It's far too early to be regulating these systems. The definition they have in the AI Act around what AGI is, is poor. It's absolutely poor. And it means that systems that don't have any form of AGI are going to be regulated as if they do. And that will retard progress even further, right? So you can tell the bias <laughs> in my voice um, when when I speak on this subject. And, you know, I, I, I ought to try and have a more balanced perspective because I think in order for us to get to a better future, I think we should have a more rational view on things you know that's kind of what we're preaching here with effective accelerationism um, i certainly have a lot of emotion when i discuss this topic because i feel very passionate about it but ultimately it's about being pragmatic about the upside and the downside of technology but just to kind of give you a set of definitions that we can work on such that we can have a productive conversation and kind of set the standard i looked up uh the dictionary definition of techno-optimism. I couldn't find anything. I ended up finding something called techno-utopianism on Wikipedia, which is probably not the best source, but you know we'll rock with it for today's episode. And according to Wikipedia, techno-utopianism, often called um, techno-utopianism, uh, is, is an ideology based on the premise that advances in science and technology should bring us to closer to a utopia. That's effectively what the definition is. There's also techno-optimism, which existed before Mark Andreessen's post on his manifesto, but quite frankly has had a revival um, based on his post. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to give a definition based on his post. Techno-optimism is a belief that technology has the ability to drive progress and improve human life. It highlights technology as a key force for growth and the betterment of civilization, solving problems and creating new opportunities. This manifesto emphasizes the synergy of free market technology, free market, sorry, and technology forming a system that fosters material growth and abundance, suggesting that technology when developed and applied wisely can address world world challenges and lead to a more prosperous future. So that's Mark Andreessen's perspective on techno-optimism. And then another term that people use and uh, conflate with techno-optimism is effective accelerationism. And I'll give you a Wikipedia definition for that. Effective accelerationism, often abbreviated to EAC, is a 21st century philosophical movement that explicitly espouses a pro-technology stance. Its proponents believe that artificially intelligent-driven Artificial intelligence-driven progress is a great social equalizer which will push humanity forward. Adherents see, see, see themselves as a counterweight to the cautious view that AI is highly unpredictable and needs to be regulated, often giving their opponents derogatory labels such as doomers, which I have today already, <laughs> so you can tell where I land on the spectrum, and decels. So that is the dic set of dictionary definitions, just the set a standard and something that we can kind of build our conversation on. Well, I'd say just straight off the bat, um, 
it says that effective accelerationism is a 21st century philosophy. No, this is 31st century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the future. It's the future. You can obviously tell which uh, side we uh, kind of land on on this spectrum. Um, um, but I think what would be interesting is um, throughout this conversation, we'll try and present a balanced view because a lot of people um, have a lot of people who kind of label themselves as EA um, effective altruists um, kind of pitch themselves uh, as, as the as, as a counter to EAC, right? Um, and, and I guess throughout the conversation, we'll, we'll get into the details of, um, you know, where these two people overlap, uh, groups of people overlap and where they kind of um, start to diverge in their opinion. So, yeah, what do you think about the definitions? And what, what like, do, you, do you agree with these definitions? Do you think they should be different? Um, I'm curious to hear your perspective. Yeah, 100%. I think it's never good to accept things at face value. Like, oh, I emotionally identify with the EAC movement. So, you know, whatever they say is law. Like, that's actually, I think, um, the opposite of what they're, they're trying to espouse. Because you have, um, you know, a lot of movements uh, philosophically that uh, rally people behind them with this emotional affiliation. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't emotionally affiliated with effective accelerationism. But I think that what is important is to always have like a nuanced take on what is right and then you know after you've done your own independent thinking what conclusion do you come to and therefore like what philosophy do you really get behind and the reason i like effective accelerationism as um like a an important philosophy to get behind as we try and make progress in the 21st century is that it is a uh, pro change and pro innovation pro growth which you know we've been doing for 4.5 billion years since like the first living being uh, arose and actually those that didn't uh, change those that didn't um, you know make uh, adaptations in the face of uncertainty from like an evolutionary perspective are not here so in a way like for me effective accelerationism is the the only way um, now the nuanced side on that of course is like are you going to accelerate without any second thought about you know what the unintended consequences or the repercussions are of the accelerationism well some people might think that EAC is a very irresponsible movement that you know does not think about these things. It just wants to build, build, build. Maybe some people believe that, but there's also a lot of I don't know. Can we call them EAC centrists <laughs> that you know are of course pro some level of regulation where it's appropriate. And a lot of the discourse misses that like case to case thinking of what is appropriate, and instead just like you know emotionally affiliates itself with like we must stop we must you know decelerate or we must go we must accelerate so yeah maybe it would be interesting to you know start to explore some of these nuances with like a you know a particular case of like some some technology you know like how, how would it affect us what should we do yeah yeah i think what you said there about um uh effective accelerationist centrists yeah that's a, that's a mouthful it's like it resonates a lot because i feel like nowadays because we live in such a polarized society, um, being in the center is almost not cool anymore, but it's actually where a lot of people are. And um, I think that like, um, there's a happy medium uh, between uh, quote unquote, the D cells, even by me using the term D cells, you can tell where I fall on this background, <laughs> which is probably not good. Uh, but um, the, the the people who believe that, you know, um, and, and rightfully so, there are a lot of existential risks to a lot of the technologies that um, we're trying to advance, you know, artificial intelligence, um, uh, crypto technologies, like there are some, some genuine uh, uh, dangers that, and that we should kind of try to actively avoid, right? Um, but at the same time, we can't spend too much of our time almost optimizing uh, and protecting for downside. We have to realize that there is um, an insane 
potential for upside that we should be spending a lot of our time optimizing for. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I mean, I'm echoing a lot of what you said. I very much agree with all of this. Um, I think what could be interesting is maybe um, talking a bit about uh, folks who are EA, um, effective uh, altruists, and folks who are EAC, and maybe talk about um, where exactly their views differ. Um, so I wonder if you have any opinions there. Yeah. From, from from what I know, I can give like my interpretation. Maybe it would be good to get yours as well. But from what I know about effective altruism is that it emerged from um, like the school of like utilitarian thinking in economics where we could um, you know quantify the value of things and we should behave in ways that try to um, optimize for the greatest value, the greatest impact that that has on humanity, hence like that altruism piece. So I think the founder with some like... Uh, economist some professor um was thinking about how to spend i think it was his bonus or what he had left at the end of the year and was thinking about making a charitable donation and then compared what it would be like to put that money towards a charity in the uk solving x problem or charity in um india solving y problem i can't remember what the exact problems were but he did the maths and found out that for every pound that he would donate he would save more lives in india than he would in the uk so his thinking was well it just makes sense therefore to donate to, to india and, um, you know, that has its merits 100% because, you know, you are thinking about how to make the most impact in your life. But I think the core of it is that it follows like this, um, you know, quantification, this like mathematical way of, um, you know, defining utility. And I think what a lot of people in the EA effective altruism camp do is that they try to predict, um, you know, what the positive externality and the negative externality would be on a certain something so in the case of like you know like a new technology let's say it's with ai what's the chance of it going wrong well let's try and define it and assign these values to this and these values to that and there is always a probability that it could go wrong so this probability could mean this and therefore we have to regulate it in one way or another to protect against that downside and that's my understanding of how this emerged whereas effective accelerationism from from my point of view says this is so early days we are you know calculating things and trying to you know model things which we don't have that much information on so let's just not do that let's just build and let's see where this goes and my personal take like on top of that for effective accelerationism is that we should make sure that we are continually accelerating on all of the negative externalities that might arise because they will because we're human and we're imperfect um, but as long as the rate at which we solve problems is greater than the rate at which they affect us, I think we'll be pretty fine. You know, easier said than done, maybe. But Yeah, very much agree. I think uh, to kind of double tap in on what you said there, um, I want to highlight the regulation, regulatory aspect of this, right? Because I think that the, um, this conversation on EA versus EAC or just optimism versus downside protection is really going to shape the future of the internet and then also i guess by extension of the world right mm -hmm. um and um why i think it's important for us to get it right is um yeah because there's so, there's a lot at stake right um uh i think the most important aspect here is um well not the most important but a very important aspect is the regulatory side of it i think my understanding of uh, kind of um how people perceive technology is that right now there is this like underlying fear that AGI with the advent of LLMs and you know other technologies that technologies that are coming out 
is going to kind of like lead to the end of humanity. And as a result, a lot of people like, for example, the EU regulation that came out um, are kind of seeing this and trying to kind of like uh, slow things down. Um, Like, how do you think we can strike the right balance between allowing these? Because you kind of said it in your answer there, like, you know, trying to allow technologies to grow and prosper, but also bring in about bring about some sensible regulation such that we don't have these negative uh, consequences. So what, what do you think the right balance is between uh, uh, regulation and uh, technological innovation? Mm-hmm. Probably something which involves like some exercising of prudence, mm-hmm. because it's really hard to say outright, like, this is the answer when there are going to be, you know, thousands upon thousands of different applications for how we can use, uh, you know, a technology like LLMs uh, in in terms of like bringing about some some benefit to humanity that might also have some risk. So, you know, rather than just blanket banning LLMs, we need to see like, okay, well, how are they being used? What is it being used for? And, um, you know, it's really hard because in a way I'm, like, I'm not answering anything. I'm just saying like, let's look at it, um, you know, with, with some nuance. But unfortunately, that's not how governments work because they are um, like their job is to provide stability and certainty and to to the to the country on a social level but also the economy as well and anything that can destabilize that like if there's going to be a massive job shortage in this country because you know ai is replacing x percentage of the workforce um which looks like it could pretty feasibly go with like i don't know sticking to the example of an llm whatever an llm can do to replace them that's not going to bode well for that country. It makes sense to regulate things. Um, so from their perspective, I can see why they want blanket bans and impose regulation, however, protects against them. But then, of course, they don't get that upside from what it would be like to actually see the industry change. And I think that's a difficult thing. Um, whatever we can do to try and evaluate things and make some like really like context-specific um, regulatory um like uh, improvements if need be i think that would probably be the way Mm. how do you think we have a open dialogue on this that's balanced um that takes into consideration all of the complexities uh, and helps us get to a much better position from a a public consciousness perspective and also more importantly the regulatory perspective do what, what do you think needs to happen to facilitate that kind of a conversation right right because it feels like the world is very polarized and it's only getting more polarized what do you think we can do as technologists to try and create the space for that dialogue mm, maybe a lot of questions because i know a few people in my life who are you know more pro um I wouldn't go as far as saying like deceleration, but, um, you know, heavy regulation, let's stop because this looks very scary. And what, what is really nice about this is that there's like a, like a philosophical clash between both sides on what we believe in. Like one side, I would say from my perspective assumes, um, the worst of humanity, whereas the other side believes in the best of humanity. And, um, you know, there is a, there is a clear difference there if, if that is true. So, you know, let's, let's, explore like why some people believe that humanity will do poorly if it's left to its own devices let's explore why some people believe humanity can be great and um you know from, from there like um just compare mental models and 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 see what we learn because it's really yeah it's, it's, it's really tricky um just convincing people with like facts or arguments like 
the most powerful thing, even like with political stuff perhaps, is to help people go within themselves, question things, and then reach their own conclusions. Maybe, you know, our egos prevent us from just like accepting things um, at face value. Um, but the more questions we can ask each other to understand that, like, what do I believe in? What are my values as a person? And then once I understand those values, how do I then side with um, a philosophy that works with me? I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I agree a lot with what you said. I, I think, um, actually, um, I would like to uh, segue into um, uh, something that you wrote recently that we spoke about, which is the contrast between EA and EAC and uh, Catholicism and Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? Yeah. yeah. yeah um, talk to us about that, because I think that's particularly pertinent in the context of this conversation. Yeah, it's... Um... It's 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 just like a interesting exploration on the like the philosophical debate through the lens of um, Christianity. Let's say, um, basically, I see some similarities between EAC and EA, as I do with Protestantism and Catholicism. Like fundamentally, we all believe in the same thing. Like as Catholics and Protestants, at the end of the day, they're all Christians. They all believe in the same thing. Um, but they just have different paths for how they go about that. And subsequently, they live different lives. They believe that society should govern itself in different ways. And more or less, um, I think with Catholicism, which is like the, the, the original um, version of, of Christianity, let's say. Well, actually, maybe not original, but like the, the, the mainstream for like a big period of history. And I think that a big part of the philosophy of Catholicism is that uh, man was born into sin so we are fundamentally flawed but we are capable of redeeming ourselves with um, the grace of God and what we should do is we should try and restrain ourselves we should avoid the passions um, you know the temptations and try and live life in this way whereas Protestantism when it branched off from Catholicism it believed more so in having a personal relationship with God it believed more so on creating heaven as a place on earth, and it believed more so as um, that you would be a better person, you would be doing God's work by doing good deeds on this earth. Um, so the overlap, I think, is pretty significant with uh, EA and EAC, because EA, let's say that's closer to the Catholic side, there is this fundamental belief that like, if you leave man to their own devices, things will go poorly. Perhaps we are like innately sinful, like we can't be trusted. Um, and therefore we should try and regulate ourselves. We should, you know, restrain ourselves. There should be some degree of downside protection. Whereas uh, Protestantism, which interesting to note, um, you know, gave way to like the Calvinist work ethic, which you could say was like a important ingredient for um, the, like the, the free market. Um, you know, it also, um, really pushed people to improve their like um, literacy abilities so that they could read the bible and have their own personal relationship with god there was much more religious tolerance um if you look at europe as a map most of the like um like uh economic powerhouses are are more so like historically um powered by protestantism not to say that one is better than the other like fundamentally you know this is all about like how do we live the best life and that's your personal decision not to say that one is the best but, um, you know, there are certainly these two different sides uh, between both. And yeah, effective accelerationism is basically making heaven a place on earth. It's building this utopia. Let's try and build, let's do good work to, to you know, go about that. But, um, you know, it's just a, a secular um, version of that. So I think there's a lot of um, overlap between the both of them. 
Catholicism and Protestantism both believe in the same core things, though, that, you know, we need to overcome our suffering by living well. And they have very similar, but, you know, different angles on how to do that. So actually, to answer your question earlier on, like, how do we have that conversation? Maybe this is the start. Like, okay, we want to do the best for humanity. How do we do that? Let's let's get together and, like, let's compare philosophies on, on how best to go. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on here. In fact, I think this is something that potentially could end up being... A series of conversations you know we spoke about this off off mic this is such a i mean I, you know i kind of alluded to it as well in our conversation this is going to be a very pivotal conversation as it relates to building the future of the internet and ultimately the future of uh humanity so um i want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for spending the time with me to discuss this topic um i've had a lot of fun del- delving into the 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 weeds here um, and just to let everyone know in the audience, this is not the last time that we're going to speak about this. As, as, as I've been alluding to, I think this could most certainly be a series of conversations. And I intend on making a series of conversations about this. You know, this is just the start. We wanted to kind of take the space now to define what it means to uh, define uh, techno-optimism, acceler- effective accelerationism, etc., uh, etc. Et and just kind of share with you our thoughts. The, the um, at EA as well, that's obviously another... Uh, uh, aspect of this and and then and then kind of in future episodes i i hope to delve a bit deeper and um you know vitalik's written some posts about this so maybe exploring that in the future could be interesting um but uh yeah thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast thank you very much for having me it's been excellent